for The Daily Princetonian. I'm Hope Perry. You're listening to Daybreak. On May 22nd, I sat down with Wendy Kopp, class of 89, who spoke at Baccalaureate for the class of 2022. She's the CEO and co-founder of Teach for All. You can read a print version of this interview online at dailyprincetonian.com and also linked in the description below. We'll get right into the interview. I'm Wendy Kopp, class of 1989, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Teach for All. Great. Okay, so one thing that I want to ask you about, because you talked about it a little bit in your speech today, um, but I'd love for you to reiterate a little bit for our listeners, is what was the path that you know caused you to write a senior thesis about something that has become a really well-known nonprofit? Mm, well, as I shared in the speech, I was in a funk my senior year. I found myself in this kind of deep sense of malaise because I was just searching and searching for something I wasn't finding in terms of a postgraduate opportunity that would enable me to do something that would be both a big responsibility and also make a real difference in the world. And it was that search that ultimately led me to start thinking about education in particular because I felt that it had given me such such a sense of freedom. And I had also though become really aware of the inequities in education as a public policy major and also just as a Princeton student because you see here how differently prepared kids are to thrive based on where they're from. So all of that led me to explore teaching and I started exploring teaching in New York City and I realized it was actually possible. People wouldn't have thought it was possible, Mm -hmm. you know, for a public policy major to teach, but because at the time, you know, there were such vacancies you know, the school system would open up and then open up the teaching profession and relax the licensure requirements. Mm -hmm. So one day that led to this inspiration, you know, why weren't we, all these graduating seniors searching for a way to make a real difference against the inequities in our country, being recruited as aggressively to teach as we were being recruited to work in banks. So that was the big idea, became the thesis topic, and it really defined my path every year since. Okay, so you mentioned something there that I want to follow up with you about, which I found really interesting, and you said it in your speech also. You talked about, you know, recruiting teachers instead of recruiting people for consulting and banking and things like that. And you also, something that is, it's really clear as an emphasis of yours is the importance of leadership in education and how that makes an impact on students and also the teachers themselves. There, you know, are critics, and I'm just going to quote what the Associated Press says, that claim, quote, that Teach for America recruits underprepared or ineffective teachers who might see the two-year stint as a feel-good stepping stone rather than a career path. So I'm wondering for you how there are these things like banking or consulting, a lot of people go into because they see themselves having a long-term career. And you also stress the importance of thinking about the long haul to the graduates. So I'm wondering how you're thinking about Teach for America in the spirit of the long haul for people who may be thinking about joining. So what's so interesting, right, is that I think most people go in, in fact, I just had lunch with a bunch of folks Mm -hmm. who this would be true about, they go into consulting or Mm -hmm. banking or the next thing thinking, I'm gonna do this for two years and then I'll figure out what I want my life to be about. So the idea was to say, how powerful would it be to have our country's most equipped students teach for their first two years, knowing that those two years would be really important for the kids they teach and also really 
formative for them. And what we've seen, not only across the US, but now all across the world, is that those two years really are completely transformational. They lead people to rethink their career paths. More than 70% of them never leave education. They lead them to come to understand the nature of inequity in a different way. Even though we recruit a really diverse group of folks, including many people with lived experience of the inequities we're addressing, they come away understanding more deeply how systemic this challenge is and also they come away thinking we can we can solve this recognizing so clearly how much potential kids have and how much potential they have to make a difference in the face of this so i guess i would say that the systems in our country and it turns out all over the world the inequities in our systems are so entrenched and decade after decade we've made little progress addressing them. So I would say it's actually imperative of us to figure out what are some new paradigm shifting ways of developing the leadership we need to change those systems. And that's what Teach for America and the Teach for All organizations have, have really proven to be. Of course, if our teachers were not having a positive impact on students' lives, that, that wouldn't, this wouldn't work, but they do. So they're, they're recruited, they're developed differently, um, but, extremely intensively so that they do have a positive impact on students. And there's many, many studies now all over the world that really show that. That has to be true. I mean, you can't build a movement on the foundation of anything other than success working with students. But I would say that we can't stop there. Mm -hmm. You know, what we've learned is no one thing will solve this problem we're addressing, not fixing teachers, not changing the curriculum. It's gonna take many things, which means it's gonna take a lot of people exerting leadership from students and families, to teachers, to school principals, to administrators, to policymakers, to civic leaders working from other sectors as, as well. One thing that I'm wondering about is, you know, just as you've talked about leadership, I'm also wondering, you know, how you think about the role of relationships between teachers and students. So another criticism that I've heard from some people and also that it can be hard for these teachers, the core members to come in um, and teach in a school when students know that they might be leaving after just a few years. And so I'm wondering how you think about the relationship between students and teachers and how, how you feel that, you know, maybe there are some people who just want to come in for a few years and do their time as a core member and not continue on. That is how the program is structured. But I'm wondering, you know, how, how are you thinking about, you know, the relationship between the students and if they're only there for two years, you know, are there ways that you're thinking about that within the organization? I think relationships are the most important piece of this puzzle. Um, we've actually done all these studies that look at what is it that differentiates the most successful teachers. And what's interesting is it's exactly as you say, it's, it's the teachers who are very relational, who build deep relationships with students, with their families, right. with the other teachers in the schools who really thrive. Um, and, and we really put that at the heart of everything from how we recruit and select people to how we train and support and develop them. Um, you know, it really, I think this is all very contextual. Like if you, I think it may be important to really understand all of this from the perspective of the schools that are choosing to hire these teachers and that are saying, we want these folks teaching in our schools um, because of all that they will bring, the relationships they will bring for students and that they'll take with them, by the way, for the rest of their lives. Um, in the U.S., our teachers are more likely to complete two years than other new teachers in their schools and only very like a few percentage points less likely to teach three and four years in their schools. So it's it's maybe not as it always seems from reading the media swirl. I have um, 
a question that's a little bit more organizational, not a very long one, which is just, you started Teach for America, but you're also part of a broader organization, Teach for All. Can you talk a little bit about that broader organization, Teach for All, and its relation with maybe its more well-known counterpart, Teach for America? Well, Teach for All is a network of organizations similar to Teach for America in 61 countries around the world, from Teach for Afghanistan, to Teach for Ukraine, to Teach for India, Teach for Nigeria, um, which all of which share a common approach Mm -hmm. of enlisting promising leaders, asking them to commit at least two years and cultivating their ongoing leadership, their collective leadership as a force for changing the inequitable systems in in their countries. And I think, you know, it came about because, I mean, I wasn't thinking about the rest of the world at all. I had my head down and was fully focused on making Teach for America bigger and better. Um, But we started meeting people around the world. In one year, I met 13 people. It was just like there was something in the water from Mm -hmm. 13 different countries who were just determined that something similar needed to happen in their countries. And so that's what led to the launch of Teach for All as a network Mm -hmm. of these independent, locally-led organizations that can all learn from each other and now move much more quickly because we are learning from each other across borders. So I want to bring something back a little bit more Princeton. So something that I find really interesting, obviously, you know, I'm a reporter from the Daily Princetonian. I know that during your time here at Princeton, you were a writer for the Princeton Tory, which is another publication on campus. And you're shaking your head at me just for the listeners. So I was just wondering, I, you know, the archive online only goes back to 2001. As you mentioned, you were here a little bit before that. Do you want to talk a little bit about your time there? I, I never worked for the Princeton tour. You didn't? No. Okay, because there is a there's an image like there's a picture of like a masthead and it shows you as a staff writer. So Meaning you, the Princeton. I was in the press club. Y- yes, University Press Club. Oh, the Tory. The Tory. The, the, the Princeton Tory. The Princeton Tory is. Um, I think they're the way that they brand themselves is Princeton's leading publication for conservative thought. Yeah, I never worked there. Okay. I don't even. Okay, I was just curious, you know, yeah. because I did know that you were in the university press club. I was club in the as press well. club. Yes. I worked for the Princeton Packet, like the local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a few others, but I never worked at the Tory. I've heard that before. I okay. don't know where that came from. I just, I had to ask, you know, because it's Princeton related, you're on campus, you know, I wanted to yeah. know. Another question I want to ask you, and this is also sort of a little bit more of a fun one. You know, you're here at Baccalaureate, which feels like a very Princetonian tradition. And so I'm wondering, what's a Princetonian tradition that you really love or that speaks to you? I'd have to say the thesis, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I would never have said that when I was here, but I think it is. I really do thank the thesis requirement because it forced me to take a big idea and really rigorously research it and to develop the kind of plan that could Mm -hmm. enable it to actually come to life. So um, I'd have to say the thesis. Okay. And just really quickly before we wrap up, I do just want to show you this so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm not making it up. I promise. Yeah. So on their website, it says notable alumni. See, and you're here. That's so weird. Yeah. I mean, I've never... I don't even, I never talked to anyone from the Tory when I was here. Okay, well, I just wanted to ask you, you know, because you're on there, so I figured it was worth an ask. maybe I'll have our people inquire. Okay, okay, well, Um, um, I just wanted to thank you again for coming to speak with me and ask, you know, are there any, like, closing thoughts that you'd like to give to our listeners? Maybe I'll just say it was such an honor to have the chance to speak with this graduating class. Mm -hmm. I think... um, that this generation of students has just a unique perspective in terms of being truly 
more aware of and more passionate about the challenges in the world and tackling the injustices in the world than any that came before. Um, and so I do hope that people will keep thinking so intentionally about where to put their time and energy, mm -hmm. um, driven by those values. You know, I think sometimes when we're college students, we can be activists and, you know, do all sorts of things to address issues, but then not put that same amount of critical thought into where we actually put our own time and energy. And that was my message today. And I, I just, I think that the choices of this generation about where they put their time and energy will do so much to determine the trajectory of our country and of, of our world as so. well. Thank you again so much for joining with me. It was lovely to talk to you. I'm glad that we could do it in air conditioning and not outside. Today's interview was done by me, sound engineered by me, and produced under the 146 managing board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 2022. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. Have a wonderful day.